Chapters 9 and 10 of Beautiful Joe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Allison Hester of Athens, Georgia. Beautiful Joe by Marshall Saunders. Chapter 9 The Parrot Bella. I often used to hear the Morrises speak about vessels that ran between Fairport and a place called the West Indies, carrying cargoes of lumber and fish, and bringing home molasses, spices, fruit, and other things. On one of these vessels, called the Mary Jane, was a cabin boy, who was a friend of the Morris boys, and often brought them presents. One day, after I had been with the Morrises for some months, this boy arrived at the house with a bunch of green bananas in one hand and a parrot in the other. The boys were delighted with the parrot and called their mother to see what a pretty bird she was. Mrs. Morris seemed very touched by the boy's thoughtfulness in bringing a present such a long distance to her boys and thanked him warmly. The cabin boy became very shy, and all he could say was, Go away, over and over again in a very awkward manner. Mrs. Morris smiled and left him with the boys. I think that she thought he would be more comfortable with them. Jack put me up on the table to take a look at the parrot. The boy held her by a string tied around one of her legs. She was a gray parrot with a few red feathers in her tail, and she had bright eyes and a very knowing air. The boy said he had been careful to buy a young one that could not speak, for he knew the Morris boys would not want one chattering foreign gibberish, nor yet one that would swear. He had kept her in his bunk in the ship and has spent all his leisure time in teaching her to talk. Then he looked at her anxiously and said, Show off now, can't ye? I didn't know what he meant by all this until afterward. I had never heard of such a thing as birds talking. I stood on the table staring hard at her, and she stared hard at me. I was just thinking that I would not like to have her sharp little beak fastened in my skin when I heard someone say, Beautiful Joe. The voice seemed to come from the room, but I knew all the voices there, and this was one I had never heard before, so I thought I must be mistaken, and it was someone in the hall. I struggled to get away from Jack to run and see who it was, but he held me fast and laughed with all his might. I looked at the other boys, and they were laughing, too. Presently, I heard it again. Beautiful Joe! Beautiful Joe! The sound was close by, and yet it did not come from the cabin boy, for he was all doubled up laughing, his face as red as a beet. It's the parrot, Joe! cried Ned. Look at her, you baby! I did look at her, and with her head on one side and the sauciest air in the world, she was saying, Beautiful Joe! Beautiful Joe! 
I had never heard a bird talk before, and I felt so sheepish that I tried to get down and hide myself under the table. Then she began to laugh at me. Ha, 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 good dog, sickum boy, rats, rats, beautiful Joe, beautiful Joe, she cried, rattling off the words as fast as she could. I never felt so queer before in my life and the boys were just roaring with delight at my puzzled face. Then the parrot began calling for Jim. Where's Jim? Where's good old Jim? Poor old dog, give him a bone. The boys brought Jim in the parlor, and when he heard her funny little cracked voice calling him, he nearly went crazy. Jimmy, Jimmy, James Augustus she said which was jim's long name he made a dash out of the room and the boys screamed so that mr morris came down from his study to see what the noise meant as soon as the parrot saw him she would not utter another word the boys told him though what she had been saying and he seemed much amused to think that the cabin boy should have remembered so many sayings his boys made use of and taught them to the parrot clever polly he said kindly good polly the cabin boy looked at him shyly and jack who was a very sharp boy said quickly is not that what you call her henry no said the boy i call her bell short for beelzebub i beg your pardon said jack very politely bell short for beelzebub repeated the boy you see i thought you'd like a name from the bible being a minister's sons i hadn't my bible with me on this cruise saving your presence and i couldn't think of any girls names out of it but eve or queen of sheba and they didn't seem very fit so i asked me mates and he says for his part he guessed beelzebub was a pretty girl's name as any so i gover that twould have been better to let you name her but you see twouldn't have been handy not to call her something where i was teaching her every day jack turned away and walked to the window his face a deep scarlet i heard him mutter beelzebub prince of devils so i suppose the cabin boy had given his bird a bad name mr morris looked kindly at the cabin boy do you ever call the parrot by her whole name no sir he replied i always give her bell but she calls herself bella bella repeated mr morris that's a very pretty name if you keep her boys i think you had better stick to that yes father they all said and then mr morris started to go back to his study on the door sill he paused to ask the cabin boy when his ship sailed finding that it was to be in a few days he took out his pocketbook and wrote something in it the next day he asked jack to go to town with him and when they came home jack said that his father had bought an oilskin coat for henry smith and a handsome bible in which they were all to write their names after mr morris left the room the door opened and miss laura came in 
She knew nothing about the parrot and was very much surprised to see it. Seating herself at the table, she held out her hands to it. She was so fond of pets of all kinds that she never thought of being afraid of them. At the same time, she never laid her hand suddenly on any animal. She held out her fingers and talked gently, so that if it wished to come to her, it could. She looked at the parrot as if she loved it, and the queer little thing walked right up and nestled its head against the lace in the front of her dress. Pretty lady, she said in a cracked whisper. Give Bella a kiss. The boys were so pleased with this and set up such a shout that their mother came into the room and said they had better take the parrot out to the stable. Bella seemed to enjoy the fun. Come on, boys, she screamed as Henry Smith lifted her on his finger. Ha, ha, ha. Come on, let's have some fun. Where's the guinea pig? Where's Davy the rat? Where's pussy? Pussy, pussy, come here. Pussy, pussy, dear pretty puss. Her voice was shrill and distinct and very like the voice of an old woman who came out to the house for rags and bones. I followed her out to the stable and stayed there until she noticed me and screamed out, Ha, Joe, beautiful Joe, where's your tail? Who cut your ears off? I don't think it was kind in the cabin boy to teach her this, and I think she knew it teased me, for she said it over and over again and laughed and chuckled with delight. I left her and did not see her till the next day when the boys had got a fine large cage for her. The place for her cage was by one of the hall windows, but everybody in the house got so fond of her that she was moved about from one room to another. She hated her cage and used to put her head close to the bars and plead, Let Bella out. Bella will be good girl. Bella won't run away. After a time, the Morrises did let her out, and she kept her word and never tried to get away. Jack put a little handle on her cage door so that she could open and shut it herself, and it was very amusing to hear her say in the morning, Clear the track, children. Bella's going to take a walk. And see her turn the handle with her claw and come out into the room. She was a very clever bird, and I have never seen any creature but a human being that could reason as she did. She was so petted and talked to that she got to know a great many words, and on one occasion she saved the Morrises from being robbed. It was in the winter time. The family was having tea in the dining room at the back of the house, and Billy and I were lying in the hall watching what was going on. There was no one in the front of the house. The hall lamp was lighted, and the hall door closed, but not locked. Some sneak thieves, who had been doing a great deal of mischief in Fairport, crept up the steps and into the house, and, opening the door of the hall closet, laid their hands on the boys' winter overcoats. They thought no one saw them, but they were mistaken. Bella had been having a nap upstairs and had not come down when the tea bell rang. 
now she was hopping down on her way to the dining room and hearing the slight noise below stopped and looked through the railing any pet creature that lives in a nice family hates a dirty shabby person bella knew that those beggar boys had no business in that closet bad boys she screamed angrily get out get out here joe joe beautiful joe come quick billy billy rats hey out jim sickum boys where's the police call the police billy and i sprang up and pushed open the door leading to the front hall the thieves in a terrible fright were just rushing down the front steps one of them got away but the other one fell and i caught him by the coat till mr morris ran and put his hand on his shoulder he was a young fellow about jack's age but not one half so manly and he was sniffling and scolding about that pesky parrot mr morris made him come back into the house and had a talk with him he found out that he was a poor ignorant lad half starved by a drunken father he and his brother stole clothes and sent them to his sister in Boston, who sold them and returned part of the money. Mr. Morris asked him if he would not like to get his living in an honest way, and he said he had tried to, but no one would employ him. Mr. Morris told him to go home and take leave of his father and get his brother and bring him to Washington Street the next day. He told him plainly that if he did not, he would send a policeman after him. The boy begged Mr. Morris not to do that, and early the next morning he appeared with his brother. Mrs. Morris gave them a good breakfast and fitted them out with clothes, and they were sent off in the train to one of her brothers, who was a kind farmer in the country and who had been telegraphed to that these boys were coming and wished to be provided with situations where they would have a chance to make honest men of themselves. End of chapter 9, The Parrot Bella Chapter 10 Billy's training continued. When Billy was five months old, he had his first walk in the streets. Miss Laura knew that he had been well trained, so she did not hesitate to take him into the town. She was not the kind of young lady to go into the street with a dog that would not behave himself, and she was never willing to attract attention to herself by calling out orders to any of her pets. As soon as we got down the front steps, she said quietly to Billy, To hill. It was very hard for little, playful Billy to keep close to her when he saw so many new and wonderful things about him. He had gotten acquainted with everything in the house and garden, but this outside world was full of things he wanted to look at and smell of, and he was fairly crazy to play with some of the pretty dogs he saw running about, but he did just as he was told. Soon we came to a shop, and Miss Laura went in to buy some ribbons. She said to me, Stay out. But Billy she took in with her. I watched them through the glass door and saw her go to a counter and sit down. Billy stood behind her till she said, Lie down. 
Then he curled himself at her feet. He lay quietly, even when she left him and went to another counter, but he eyed her very anxiously till she came back and said, Up! to him. Then he sprang up and followed her out to the street. She stood in the shop door and looked lovingly down on us as we fawned on her. Good dogs, she said softly. You shall have a present. We went behind her again, and she took us to a shop where we both lay beside the counter. When we heard her ask the clerk for solid rubber balls, we could scarcely keep still. We both knew what ball meant. Taking the parcel in her hand, she came out into the street. She did not do any more shopping, but turned her face toward the sea. She was going to give us a nice walk along the beach, although it was a dark, disagreeable, cloudy day when most young ladies would have stayed in the house. The Morris children never minded the weather. Even in the pouring rain, the boys would put on rubber boots and coats and go out and play. Miss Laura walked along, the high wind blowing her cloak and dress about, and when we got past the houses, she had a little run with us. We jumped and frisked and barked till we were tired, and then we walked quietly along. A little distance ahead of us were some boys throwing sticks in the water for two Newfoundland dogs. Suddenly, a quarrel sprang up between the dogs. They were both powerful creatures and barely matched as regarded size. It was terrible to hear their fierce growling and to see the way in which they tore at each other's throats. I looked at Miss Laura. If she had said a word, I would have run in and helped the dog that was getting the worst of it, but she told me to keep back and ran on herself. The boys were throwing water on the dogs and pulling their tails and hurling stones at them, but they could not separate them. Their heads seemed to be locked together, and they went back and forth over the stones, the boys crowding round them, shouting and beating and kicking at them. "'Stand back, boys,' said Miss Laura. "'I'll stop them.' She pulled a little parcel from her purse, bent over the dogs, scattered a powder on their noses, and the next instant the dogs were yards apart, nearly sneezing their head off. "'I say, missus, what'd you do? What's that stuff? Woo! It's pepper!' the boys exclaimed. Miss Laura sat down on a flat rock and looked at them with a very pale face. "'Oh, boys,' she said, "'why did you make these dogs fight? It's so cruel. They were playing happily till you set them on each other. Just see how they have torn their handsome coats and how the blood is dripping from them.' "'Tain't my fault,' said one of the lads sullenly. "'Jim Jones there said his dog could lick my dog, and I said he couldn't, and he couldn't either.' "'Yes, he could,' cried the other boy, "'and if you say he couldn't, I'll smash your head.' The two boys began sidling up to each other with clenched fists, and the third boy, who had a mischievous face, seized the paper that had the pepper in it, and running up to them shook it in their faces. There was enough left to put all thoughts of fighting out of their heads. 
They began to cough and choke and splutter, and finally found themselves beside the dogs, where the four of them had a lively time. The other boys yelled with delight, pointing their fingers at them. A sneezing concert! Thank you, gentlemen. Encore! Encore! Miss Laura laughed, too. She could not help it, and even Billy and I curled up our lips. After a while, they sobered down, and then finding that the boys hadn't a handkerchief between them, Miss Laura took her own soft one, and dipping it in a spring of fresh water nearby, wiped the red eyes of the sneezers. Their ill humor had gone, and when she turned to leave them, and said coaxingly, You won't make these dogs fight any more, will you? They said, No siree, Bob! Miss Laura went slowly home, and ever afterward when she met any of those boys, they called her Miss Pepper. When we got home, we found Willie curled up by the window in the hall reading a book. He was too fond of reading, and his mother often told him to put away his book and run about with the other boys. This afternoon, Miss Laura laid her hand on his shoulder and said, I was going to give the dogs a little game of ball, but I'm rather tired. Gammon and spinach, he replied, shaking off her hand. You're always tired. She sat down in a hall chair and looked at him. Then she began to tell him about the dog fight. He was much interested, and the book slipped to the floor. When she finished, he said, You're a daisy every day. Go now and rest yourself. Then, snatching the balls from her, he called us and ran down to the basement. But he was not quick enough, though, to escape her arm. She caught him to her and kissed him repeatedly. He was the baby and the pet of the family, and he loved her dearly, though he spoke impatiently to her oftener than either of the other boys. We had a grand game with Willie. Miss Laura had trained us to do all kinds of things with the balls, jumping for them, playing hide-and-seek, and catching them. Billy could do more things than I could. One thing he did, which I thought was very clever, he played ball by himself. He was so crazy about ball play that he never could get enough of it. Miss Laura played all she could with him, but she had to help her mother with the sewing and the housework and do her lessons with her father, for she was only 17 years old and had not left off studying. So Billy would take the ball and go off by himself. Sometimes he rolled it over the floor, and sometimes he threw it in the air and pushed it through the staircase railings to the hall below. He always listened till he heard it drop, then he ran down and brought it back and pushed it through again. He did this till he was tired, and then he brought the ball and laid it at Miss Laura's feet. We both had been taught a number of tricks. We could sneeze and cough and be dead dogs and say our prayers and stand on our heads and mount a ladder and say the alphabet. This was the hardest of all, and it took Miss Laura a long time to teach us. We never began till a book was laid before us. Then we stared at it, and Miss Laura said, 
Begin, Joe and Billy. Say A. For A, we gave a little squeal. B was louder. C was louder still. We barked for some letters and growled for others. We always turned a somersault for S. When we got to Z, we gave the book a push and had a frolic around the room. When anyone came in and Miss Laura had us show off any of our tricks, the remark always was, What clever dogs! They are not like other dogs. That was a mistake. Billy and I were not any brighter than many a miserable cur that skulked about the streets of Fairport. It was kindness and patience that did it all. When I was with Jenkins, he thought I was a very stupid dog. He would have laughed at the idea of anyone teaching me anything, but I was only sullen and obstinate because I was kicked about so much. If he had been kind to me, I would have done anything for him. I loved to wait on Miss Laura and Mrs. Morris, and they taught both Billy and me to make ourselves useful about the house. Mrs. Morris didn't like going up and down the three long staircases, and sometimes we just raced up and down waiting on her. How often I have heard her go into the hall and say, Please send me down a clean duster, Laura. Joe, you go get it. I would run gaily up the steps, and then would come Billy's turn. Billy, I've forgotten my keys. Go get them. After a time, we began to know the names of different articles and where they were kept and could get them ourselves. On sweeping days, we worked very hard and enjoyed the fun. If Mrs. Morris was too far away to call Mary for what she wanted, she wrote the name on a piece of paper and told us to take it to her. Billy always took the letters from the postman and carried the morning paper up to Mr. Morris's study, and I always put away the clean clothes. After they were mended, Mrs. Morris folded each article and gave it to me, mentioning the name of the owner so that I could lay it on his bed. There was no need for her to tell me the names. I knew by the smell. All human beings have a strong smell to a dog, even though they mayn't notice it themselves. Mrs. Morris never knew how she bothered me by giving away Miss Laura's clothes to poor people. Once, I followed her track all through the town, and at last found it was only a pair of her boots on a ragged child in the gutter. I must say a word about Billy's tail before I close this chapter. It is the custom to cut off the ends of fox terriers' tails, but leave their ears untouched. Billy came to Miss Laura so young that his tail had not been cut off, and she would not have it done. One day, Mr. Robinson came in to see him, and he said, You have made a fine-looking dog of him, but his appearance is ruined by the length of his tail. Mr. Robinson, said Mrs. Morris, patting little Billy, who lay on her lap, don't you think this little dog has a beautifully proportioned body? Yes, I do, said the gentleman. His points are all correct, save that one. But, she said, if our creator made that beautiful little body, don't you think he is wise enough to know what length of tail would be in proportion to it? 
Mr. Robinson would not answer her. He only laughed and said that he thought she and Miss Laura were both cranks. End of chapter 10. Billy's training continued.